This is the FCS Podcast. I am Joe DeLeon. I'm Sean Anderson. I'm sorry, I like the beat. I, I can tell you're really feeling the beat. I like it. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with it too. I think I kind of like it. It fits what we're going there for There we here. go. Like, you know, when we were trialing it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see how it feels. But once you once you really get the, the recording going... It kind of goes through you. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, folks, I I think one of the most underrated, most difficult parts of producing a podcast might just be finding good intro music. Am I wrong? I think that good intro music could make or break a podcast. Oh, easily. If you enter it and it's, uh, you know, Danny Boy, then you're probably not going to want to listen to the rest of it. Oh, well, you love that song. No, no, no. If if that was our intro, (laughs) I think you'd be completely content with that being our intro. Well, it runs through my mind a lot throughout the day but you know what, i can't song, tell you why yeah, if the it song. became your just if the it song. became our intro uh no just the song runs through my mind i know there's no reason why it would i you're an interesting human do being. you just want to get to why we're here joe i'll get to why we're here okay this is like i said the fcs podcast brought to you by the believe podcast network ladies and gentlemen do you believe i do we are the number one fcs podcast in the world giving you the best content possible covering the world of fcs division one football just tell us what you want and yeah the one big reason why is that we're both division one fcs football players at the university of rhode island soon to be former it's crazy to think we're we're getting that close but soon to be former division one football players in the blink of an eye i mean it's senior year yeah we got one season left we're finishing up spring ball right now and yeah that's that's basically it we're going to be done our careers are going to be done, and Jeez. then we, we finally get to join the world that is the media. But, folks, if you're tuning in into this the first time and you're a fan of an FCS program and you want to hear more from us as we're going to do as much as we can to touch upon the big headlines that impact any FCS program as well as the big games during the season, if you are a fan of this, make sure you check us out and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify and iHeartRadio. It's so easy. It's so easy. We're literally everywhere. Like we we will be listening or sorry, we will be talking to you wherever you go, following you. And uh yeah, we can be in your pocket with you. Like Julius chasing down Malvo. What? What was that a reference to? Oh, what? What was that a reference to? Everybody hates Chris. Oh. Yeah, I I, I can't remember the last time I watched that. Well. Not not that good. Not good with those everybody hates Chris references. That's fine. Also that was a home run, by the way. Also make sure you follow Believe Podcasts at Believe Podcasts on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Joe DeLeon. And at SK Anderson29. Perfect. And finally, last little piece of housekeeping here is make sure you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you are listening on. It's even easier than following and subscribing. Just touch the stars. I mean, give us some feedback. This is our very first one. This is not our first rodeo, though. We have some experience. But this is our very first time working with Believe, very first podcast. Just give us some input, what you think. Right. You know, they're giving us a shot. Yeah. You know, if if not only to help us, help them figure out whether or not we are worth their time and effort. Exactly. Completely agree. <laughs> if there's something you want us to do differently or something you like, let us know. We're all about input what the fans like what they want we are here for you we are not doing this i mean i love the sound of my own voice i was gonna say we are not doing this because we like the sounds of our own voices i happen to like it but we are doing this for the fans of fcs football programs right 
I'm indifferent on the sound of my own voice, by the way. Yeah, yeah yours is okay. Yeah, it's all right. Yours is okay. Yeah. So today on tap, we've got a number of things. Every episode, we're going to do a news roundup capping any major headlines. So we got a little bit of it we're going to cover there. Next, we're going to talk a little bit about spring ball because we are in the midst of it, and so is every FCS program. And then finally, we got a nice little treat here. We're going to do, we are going to talk about the best FCS draft prospects with the draft almost two weeks away. So first, going right into it. And you want to alternate these, correct? Uh, yeah, we're going to alternate right, these. Gotcha. We're going to go back and yeah. forth. So the first headline that we have here, and this obviously has happened over the past few weeks, but because this is our first episode, wanted to touch upon this. But the FCS is actually having some changes as far as teams moving up and down. And there's a number of teams that are joining Division One FCS from a lower level. And actually, we're playing one of these teams. So the first one that's making the oh. move is Hampton. They're not moving up or down, but they had a bit of a messy departure from the MEAC. And now they took last season as an independent. Now they're joining the Big South after they went 7-3 and three as an independent. And they're not going to be the only ones joining the Big South. Yep. As North Alabama is going to be joining that conference after a strong first year in the FCS as an independent. I think we're all excited to see how that conference is going to shape up with the new additions. Oh, definitely. And then LIU Post, Long oh. Island University. I don't know what the post means. Should have looked that up. Yeah. But they, I think they're the pioneers. They are joining the FCS level from the Division Two, and they're joining the NEC, the Northeastern Conference, that is also the same conference as Sacred Heart, um, Central Connecticut State, Robert Morris, Wagner. So some decently qu- high-quality teams that are playing on the East Coast. They're going to be joining and competing at a pretty high level. And uh, Mary Mack, yeah, we'll see you this season. Oh, yeah. Uh, I see that you've moved up from Division Two uh, to join the NEC. And uh, they'll be our first, or I guess we'll be your first, uh, not our first, not their first, right? Opponents? No, we're not their first opponent, no. Oh, I thought we were. Uh, I haven't even looked at our schedule. Well, it's their first season, but I Well, I got you, I, I got it's you. Not our, well, it's not their first game. Regardless, welcome. Yeah, welcome to the club. It's a very nice group to be joining. And then the final one is Savannah State. They, and you hate to see this, they're moving down. They're moving down from Division One FCS after almost 20 years at the level down to Division Two, Not sure specifically what the reasons are, but you hate to see a team leave. Maybe a lack of success was what was really dragging them down. So now, FCS programs, and actually, frankly, any Division One program, is in the middle of spring ball. Well, up here. What do you mean? Well, Joe, with spring ball, uh, yes. regionally, in the Northeast, we're still in the thick of spring ball, whereas teams... Uh, in warmer climates, that isn't Rhode they're, Island. They're just finishing up. Yes, now. they're just yes. they're just finishing it up. There, yeah, I, uh, a couple schools have already had their spring games. Their spring games, and a, a little bit. Of this is impacted by the quality of the team as as far as what type of facilities they have available. So we're forced to start later because we don't have an indoor. Right. But a team like UConn, which is also up north, they can start whenever they want because they have that indoor. Same thing goes for Holy Cross. They have an indoor. Uh, Bryant started pretty early too. Yep. So the weather obviously has to permit. If there is snow on the ground, if it's too cold, you can't really practice. So the the teams that don't really have those facilities, they start a little bit later. Our spring game, for example, is in the final week of April. So that being said, though, we're going to be talking a little bit about what spring ball is, the impacts of it, what it means for a program, and also what it's like to be on the field 
during those things. So, Sean, your experience is a little bit different than mine because you're an offensive lineman. And actually, in multiple instances, there have been years where there have been a low amount of offensive linemen in which you did spring ball. Candidly speaking, spring ball is a grind. And then anecdotally speaking, the last two years of Mm -hmm. spring ball, I think the numbers were whittled down to about uh, seven offensive linemen, and then uh, that's for the spring game. And then for last year's spring game, we had five. I remember Which was that, uh, yeah. very fun. My, my pops got to come up here and watch me play 90 plays. <laughs> How many guys we got now? Uh, now we have, I think, 10. Or, oh, so or, no, no, no. Now we, now we have nine. No, no, we don't have two full lines. Okay. Now we have nine. So what what is that experience like for you, considering that you're, you're, you're making full contact every day? Even when right. you're in helmets, you're in full contact. Yeah, it's... um. I mean, like I said, it, it is a grind, and it's like a, a typical Tuesday practice, except it's a Tuesday practice that just goes into another Tuesday practice, meaning there's no uh, game payoff on a Saturday. You just wake up on a Saturday, you get to go practice again without the, the class bailout either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lot more individual also, and you don't, have to, you don't have to necessarily game plan for other teams during spring ball either. No. So it's a lot of technique stuff. It's a lot of uh, reworking the fundamentals uh, going over the boards 20 times in an individual period. Uh, you're not going over plays as much because there's not much uh, game planning to specifically do. You don't have to prepare necessarily for a team that uh, runs two four eyes uh, compared to a team that ran a, a, just a straight four down uh, the week before. So you're just running against the base look, Rhode Island versus Rhode Island up here. Uh, so it's just a lot of rep- re- repetition. What is install like? Are you really making any additions to the playbook? Um, are there any things that are being retaught from the season? Or is your offensive line coach and the offensive coordinator expecting you to know what is going on? Maybe they're adding some new wrinkles to the playbook. Is that is that kind of what's going on? It's a little more experimentation with the with the spring ball with our offensive coordinator. Okay, I mean, I'm sure you've been able to. Yeah, tell yeah, I've, I've picked up I, on it. It's uh, yeah, he's just, we're just trying new different things, and obviously, when you lose seniors I and mean, when you lose 18 seniors, you're gonna have to re up and reevaluate some of the new people that are filling in the holes, like especially with the tight ends. We lost uh, Tyler Burke, the tight end. Mm-hmm. Now we're working to see. Uh, which, which of the new younger tight ends uh, can work with what scheme better, which one blocks better, all of this. So it's a lot of reevaluation, uh, and we are expected to know what we knew at the end of the season also. Uh, it, it seems like we just stepped, you know, picked up right where we left off, especially with the basic game plan fundamentals. You said it perfectly right there as far as trying to evaluate your tight ends because you, we ended up losing a senior. For any team with spring ball, it's really just a matter of, the basis of it is being able to evaluate what talent you have right. and trying to build upon it. So you lost probably a decently sized class of seniors, no matter where you are. Realistically, 10, somewhere around that range is probably the number you're hitting. Sometimes you'll be hitting more than that, especially as far as starters that might be leaving as well. So the real big key with spring ball is seeing what those younger guys can do, those freshmen, those sophomore, or maybe those returning starter juniors, seeing what they can do, getting them some more live scrimmage type reps working on fundamentals and trying to correct things make everything fluid and simple and a a very fluid process so when training camp comes around it's not that complicated and you're really just working things over and correcting things with the freshmen that are that are freshly there right you definitely want to stay uh fresh you can't not practice football uh for six months and then go into training camp and expect everyone's technique to stay solid 
So, I mean, this is just kind of a base coating, hoping that the, uh, that everyone prepares in the summer as they're expected to. So when you come into training camp, you at least have a base that you can build off of. So another thing that's a, a little bit of a gray area, because in le- unless you're a former player or a diehard football fan and you go to these practices the way that the general scheduling for these things work is that there's 15 practices that the NCA permits you to do so you can spread them out however you like it's generally split up by one day you practice the next day you'll lift or have meetings or go over film something along those lines and then the next day you'll practice again so there's 15 that includes the spring game and you're trying to find things to do in the filler days in between yeah I mean it's a full week oh it you know you uh i mean we go monday wednesday friday film and lift and then tuesday thursday saturday uh full practice so you have saturday afternoon and sunday off and then the week starts all over again just like we're uh doing today on this monday yep so for me and you know i'll, I'll keep it very light <laughs> for my experience because actually that's the perfect way to phrase it my experience is very light oh. <laughs> uh i don't really do that much during practice i'm a long snapper so I don't have a position coach. Maybe at some very big schools at higher levels, you'll have a coach that specifically works with or particularly a graduate assistant that works with the specialist specialist during the whole practice. So what I do during the day is really on me. I typically get that out there pretty early, warm up, and then my special teams periods are usually done by the beginning of practice. I, I get I, We rep out punt, we rep out field goal, and then I'm done. I'm responsible for, for figuring out what I want to work on for the day. So it's usually just kind of technique stuff, uh, simple reps like that, that kind of thing. I have been wondering one thing. So, like with the punt reps and stuff, yeah. uh, how different is it in spring ball than from the season? It's a lot of just really basic looks on both ends. Okay. Our punt block scheme is is generally very basic because there's not a lot of wrinkles you can add in there. But the only thing that we're not doing at all is working on our fakes. Um, we typically tend to stay away from any variations in punt so like we don't run our rugby punts or our um pin them yeah our, our, our like if if we're on the opposite 40 or mm-hmm. if we're pinned back in the opposite end zone tight punt we don't really work that stuff we just kind of right. go through simple stuff and in my three years actually i have not had the same punter so it's always been something that doesn't have game experience oh. and it's really just a matter of seeing what they can do how comfortable they are making them comfortable and the big key here is because we don't have a ton of specialists is determining if they're going to bring in somebody else depending on how guys perform. Right, 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 right. I got you. Yeah, I've just been wondering about that because, I, I mean, we're doing like, you know, two to three punt periods mm-hmm. a day. I, I it's just two periods. It. Two periods? Oh, jeez. I'd like three. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but going off what you said, that just to kind of wrap things up, is that the punt return look is pretty much the base – punt return look not a lot of you know crazy rushes coming at us it's just a simple block simple return trying to get a return so we can get our reps making our steps and then getting downfield as well roger so to cap things off before we get to our fan questions we're going to give you a nice little treat talking about the nfl draft prospects for this upcoming year and we have a pretty interesting group here don't we sean i think we did we teased it in our teaser. teaser episode. Yep. Yeah. So hopefully if you have carried over with us since that episode, you will have uh, somewhat of an idea and impression of who we are going to cover. And uh, 
I'm going to let our resident draft expert. I wouldn't call myself an expert. Okay, but you care yes. about the draft more than anybody else that I know. Okay. And you knew, I'd say, 90% of these players that we're about to talk about yeah, before, beforehand. Yeah. beforehand. So this group is pretty interesting for the reason that I can't remember the last time we had such highly graded guys and draftable prospects coming from the FCS in a few years. The last time I can think of it was when Carson Wentz was taken second overall, which really does not happen often coming from an FCS program. He was drafted, obviously, out of North Dakota State. And we do have another North Dakota State quarterback on this list. We'll get to him in a little bit. But the first one here, and Sean and I actually played against him, is Nasir Adderley. We only played against him once. He's a free safety from Delaware. He's six feet tall, 206 pounds. And the grades that I've been seeing from a lot of different mock drafts is a first-rounder to maybe a late-second-rounder. I could see him slipping into the third, but realistically speaking, the quality of a player that he is, he's probably going to be a late first-rounder, early second-rounder. So he really brings a, a strong level of versatility and capability to play back there. I think I... Uh, you said versatility. Yes. Uh, is that because he played corner before last year? Yes. Oh, they, there we go. He's played multiple positions. He played uh, corner. Uh. He played safety. And that's really what you like to see. A guy that can play both positions. So then you can bring him in in those nickel, those dime situations, and you can put him at nickel corner if you need to. You can put him back at safety. You can shift him around, have a little fun with him, and those gadget-type players are really what the NFL defenses are starting to shift towards. Right. And in watching game tape on him, what, you know, what were some of the things that you got from from watching him? Man, he can move. When we were uh, when when we obviously had to to watch uh, Delaware's defense, it was the first name. Like uh, when uh, coach brought, brings out the the roster, mm-hmm. and you have to go down and see, uh, you know, who you're going to face up against. You know, Adderley was the first person said, "Yeah, this dude, uh, this safety they have, he's pretty good. He's probably going to go to league next year, so we have to keep an eye on him." Uh, there was definitely game planning around him. Also, there's actually been a lot of hype surrounding Adderley I remember my freshman year hearing his name seeing him on Twitter and stuff like that there was a lot of hype surrounding this guy as far as what he's capable of capable of doing and you should see him being an impact rookie early on so the next guy and he actually made a name for himself through social media and that's Kalen Saunders defensive lineman from Western Illinois his measurables he's six feet tall 324 pounds 32 and a half inch arms, 501 40 time, and then 27 reps on the bench when he was at the combine. The one number that I got from him, and it's pretty shocking, is a 30 and a half inch vertical for a 324 pounder. Isn't that isn't that crazy to, yeah. to, to think about that? I know you're juiced up about his explosion and his athleticism. I mean, you've been waiting to talk about this guy. Oh yeah. And if you didn't happen to see it when he made a name for himself. Through social media, he did a video early on in the process, probably right after the All-Star Games were played. Or I know, I think it was right before the Senior Bowl. He recorded a video of him doing a backflip. And, like, that's just crazy to think. A 324-pounder is that athletic and that capable to move that well to be able to do a backflip. So that's what you're getting from him is an athletic guy, that moves very well for his size. Right now, though, I see him as like a third to fourth rounder, and that's what a, a, a lot of things that I'm hearing as well. I'm excited. I mean, he looks mm-hmm. just very strong also. Not not just uh, one of these athletic, fasty tackles, these twitchy Aaron Donald types. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's got a 
really good base underneath him. And he's really strong, good shoulders, good push, uh, especially just initially right off the line of scrimmage. And I think one thing you have to take into account when we're talking about all these guys is that they're very good players, but just for the reason that they're FCS products, tends to push them down just a tiny bit as far as their draft stock. Carson Wentz and Joe Flacco, they are not your typical players just because of the quality of prospects that they were. But in most situations, some guys might be able to be a first-round quality player if they were playing for a bigger program. So next one, and Sean is going to give a bit of a breakdown on Titus Howard, offensive lineman from Alabama State. Yeah, Titus Howard, I'll handle the uh, offensive lineman that we want to talk about here. Uh, I'm pretty excited about him. I think one thing that I've noticed in a lot of uh, in the film that I've watched is he always has his helmet uh, at his landmark, and that's a huge, huge part at getting crucial blocks down the field and just on the line of scrimmage. Every time I see, you know, he he's going down, it's a down block. He's always getting his helmet across to the near shoulder pad or wherever he needs to be. Uh, if I have one criticism, I think he lunges just a hair too much. Okay, just a hair. I mean, and this dude's. I mean, he's a stud. I mean, my source from Alabama State, who will remain unnamed, uh, said he's had just a plethora of private NFL visits. Uh, he believes he's going to do very well in the NFL and possibly could start as a rookie. So that's pretty high yeah, praise. Yeah, that's big, big praise for for Howard. I, I think he, uh, I think he has very good feet. His arms, uh, he gets them on. He locks on. He doesn't let go uh, for nearly anything. I, I think he could be a very good impact rookie on the offensive line. Also a good developmental player. Going to see where he ends up, but also another draftable prospect. Jimmy Moreland, cornerback from JMU. And since about January, I've continuously heard there's a ton of momentum for this kid. He's moving up draft boards because he is a very talented corner. And he's so far gone, pretty under-recognized. He was not invited to the combine, but he was a senior bowl participant. Had a decent senior bowl. He's a little bit undersized. I'll admit, he's a little bit undersized. He's five foot ten, around 182, buck 82. So not exactly a big, lengthy corner, but if you watch him play, his press is very, very good, and his ball skills is are even better. His his ability to track the ball and make plays on the ball is very, very good. So those are probably his two big strengths. Yeah, I mean, he I mean he just finds the ball. He had what, six pick sixes in his career? Is it might six have been or six. It or might eight? have been, yeah. Yeah, it was either 18 interceptions and six pick sixes or 16 interceptions, eight pick sixes. What were some of the things that you saw from, from Moreland? Uh, quick, quick guy. He's just quick. Like uh, like I said with Adderley, how he just moves really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moreland does as well, but he's just not necessarily shifty, but everything that he does is quick twitch. I think that's really, really key if you do want to or if you have to keep up with NFL wide receivers, you have to be just as twitchy as they are. So the next guy that we have on here is Keelan Doss, six foot three, two hundred three pound wide receiver from UC Davis, and he was very productive in his time in college when he was at UC David, racking up over two thousand eight hundred receiving yards. So a pretty big body receiver, a guy that can make those those plays and, and box people out with his size. Would like to see a little bit more weight on him, but he was also another Senior Bowl participant, and he's a little bit more on the developmental side. Anybody that's in that later round range is going to be on that side but he's facing like a fifth to a seventh round draft grade at the moment I think that the FCS is stocked full Mm -hmm. of really quality receivers 
I think Doss, if he finds the right quarterback in the NFL, could be a, he could be a stud. I, I, yeah, he's he's somebody. I mean, aside from the offensive lineman that I'm obviously biased to to watching film of and and studying and, and getting excited about Doss, I'm really excited about to see what he can what he can do. So the next guy that we have on here is Bruce Anderson from North Dakota State, running back. He was a Senior Bowl participant. His draft grade is not as high as some of these other guys on here. He's a sixth to an undrafted, somewhere in that range. Probably not going to be highly sought after. But the things that we saw from him at North Dakota State is that he's able to do a lot of things. He can be a kick returner. He can be an asset in the receiving game. So you're getting a tool-type player. Maybe not a lean on him every single play, every single game, but you can bring him in on third downs so he can go out there and make plays for you and get you first downs. Yeah, I think uh, if you are trying to break in, especially mm-hmm. from one of the lower levels, you have to prove that you could play special teams, you can do what the coaches need you to do to separate yourself within an NFL training camp. If you can return kicks, if you can do anything like that, I think that just improves your uh, ability to get signed to a roster even more. So next person we're going to be talking about is another CAA opponent, Ali Udo, if I'm saying that correctly. Six foot five, two hundred thirty-five pounds, twenty-six reps on the bench. Three hundred twenty-three pounds, buddy. Three hundred twenty-three pounds. Not two thirty-five. Did I say two thirty-five? Yeah. Yikes. Oh. What are you seeing from Udo? Uh, Udo, and then um, Udo has this really wide stance. It's almost like it's just the first thing that pops out at you. He doesn't miss blocks. He doesn't miss protections. But the first thing you step you see is like just how wide his base is and how well he can do with his knee bend especially from that stance just the way that he can move laterally being that wide I think it will be reeled in a little when he gets to the NFL because it's just a different level of strength if you're that wide and you're going against say Everson Griffin then he will probably plant you on your neck so I but if if Udo could do that so well in the CAA and then in uh college football I think just little minor adjustments means that he because he's just strong enough to, to carry that over into the NFL. I'm actually very excited to see what he can do. So another offensive lineman on this board here, and is that is B.J. Autry, offensive lineman from Jacksonville State. And Jacksonville State has produced some decent quality offensive linemen, some of which have gone on to some NFL careers. So Autry, 6'3", 337, a little bit on the heavier size side for his size, hovering around that late third-day uh, third range. Anything you saw from Autry? Uh, you mentioned his weight there. It doesn't look like he's moving around at 337. It looks like he's moving around at about 280. Uh, really? His footwork, yeah. His so hips he's are very really quick good. for his yeah, size? Yeah, he's got very quick feet. Uh, his sets, I, I'd like to see less. I, I, he does a good job of getting his helmet out of the block, uh, but you'd like to see that from more of a, a chest proud position, not from a necessarily lean back position, just from uh, studying a senior bowl tape. Sometime, I mean, it'd be, it's a it's a bend, don't break, and he, he didn't break, but you just like to see more of a, 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 a what would it be, him enhancing his core, not, uh, what's the word, something your core, Center of Engage, gravity? engaging uh, his core, okay. you'd like to see him engage his core a little more in his sets, uh, but I mean, his feet are really good, I, I think he, he could be uh, someone to really look at. So I had mentioned, we were talking about Carson Wentz a little bit here, Easton Stick, if you happen to recall, and Carson Wentz's final season, he broke his leg. And then Easton Stick, I think it was his leg. It was either his leg or his arm. My fault, apologies for that, but he was injured. 
and he missed part of that season, ended up coming back and winning the national championship for, for North Dakota State. But in his replacement was Easton Stick, filling in for Carson Wentz, and he did a phenomenal job. And then after Wentz left for those final two years, he did a great no, the final three years, actually. He did a great job replacing him and has also led them to multiple national championships in that span. So he's a little bit of an interesting prospect because he's not Carson Wentz. He's not six foot five, six foot six with a cannon for an arm. He's six one, he's two twenty-four, decent size, small hands, nine and a quarter inch hands. But his forty was very good. Four six two. That's pretty good. So we know he's versatile. He can move. He's got a decent arm for an FCS quality product. Nothing crazy that's I'm just really saying like that. What? For an FCS quality product? For a guy that is coming from a lower level. So I'm saying like his well, arm does not elevate him ah, past his current draft There status. we go. Okay. So his arm's okay. Nothing special. He doesn't do anything that really completely shines on tape for me coming from the level that he is. But I do like that he has quick feet. He has a very good pocket presence. And a lot of people are talking that he could be a very good backup quarterback in the NFL if some of his throwing issues are corrected and he takes some time to develop so don't get your hopes up on him being a Carson Wentz and a starter and a stud in the league but instead you're really going to be relying on him to be a backup quarterback and if he honestly turns out to be a good high quality backup that's going to be great for Easton Stick Sterling Sheffield another guy we ended up facing and I'm sure that you've seen a ton of tape on this cat Uh, yeah a lot of tape very athletic strong kid six foot two 240 pounds as a, he puts his hand in the dirt sometimes, right? Yeah. So he's, an, he's a linebacker, outside linebacker, that they put him down to rush the passer. Right. What were some of the things you got from him? Uh, what I get from him, he's got a really good get-off. He does a really good job of getting his hand into the offensive lineman's chest. Like, that's his number one uh, key to each each set or each, each rep that he's going, is I need to get my hand in your chest off the get-go just so I can at least have a chance to maneuver myself away and rip and get away. Uh, I think that he does have a high motor. I'd like to see him have a higher motor through the late fourth quarter type stuff. Uh, I, I Sometimes it looked like he faded away a bit at the end of games. He might have just been gassed because he goes 100% every single play. Uh, but I think he definitely... Uh, look, this dude's a, a freak. He should go in the draft... If he doesn't, whoever picks him up off of waivers or free agency uh, post-draft is going to receive a dude that's going to make the team. I really? F- you think I he's going to have that think, kind of impact? Like, look, we're, we're talking about all these guys, yeah. right? We go through top four guys, okay. And we're going to go through the next 25 guys, you know, through the next couple episodes, okay. Sheffield really might be the diamond in the rough, the Alfred Morris. It's honestly, you know, a pretty big hype for a guy like that. And and I was going to preface him by saying that he's probably at the very fringe and bottom of this list of guys that that we have here, probably the most likely to go undrafted. But wherever he ends up, because I don't even think he got a senior bowl invite nor a combine invite, but he's kind of been waiting around and his draft stock has risen slightly over the past few weeks. It only reminds me of who? John Randall. Just the way that really? he was undersized and he didn't have a lot of hype behind him, but he just exploded out of nowhere. I could see that happening with Sheffield. Yeah, not a lot of weight, and you can't really be rushing the passer at, <laughs> right. at 6'2", 240. Right, I mean, so maybe they beef him up a little bit more. 
and maybe he'll have a little bit more of an impact, but it, he seems like a type of player that they can use him in multiple levels of the game. Do you, did you uh, hear that story about Randall, how he made the Vikings? No. Like they said he, he couldn't weigh in at, at 240, and in the day he was supposed to have his final weigh-in, he couldn't make the team if he was 240. Like he, he was underweight. Two, yeah, underweight. Uh, so he shows up with chains around his waist to make him at least 240, 245, <laughs> something like that, so he can make the team and then eventually continue to put on weight. Where did John Randall come from? Oh my gosh! Uh, vamp for a second. Let me look that up. That, that I, I'm sorry to go off topic, folks, but this kind of reminded me of what happened with um, Andrew Hawkins with the with the Browns when he was at his pro day. He was he's only like five eight. He put clay under his feet so that he was he weighed more and that he appeared taller when All he right. weighed in. You ready for this? Yeah. John Randall from Texas A and M Kingsville. Kingsville, so that's a, that's not even yeah. Kingsville FCS. Javelinas that's very, football. It's a very small school, and he ended up going on to have a pretty good career. Oh yeah. Final guy on our list. Sorry for the off tangent. There is Jordan Brown from South Dakota State, cornerback. Another FCS corner that is quick, is fluid, six foot one, two hundred, a little bit longer than Moreland was. Could see a decent performance from him, and he actually was at the combine. He was at the Senior Bowl. And he has gained a little bit of traction. He is, in my opinion, a draftable prospect. Don't be a little bit shocked if he goes undrafted, but he is a draftable pro- prospect in that day three range. I have no qualms with that. I, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Final thing that we're going to be going over today is Twitter questions. We ended up getting one. And going forward, folks, make sure you follow us on Twitter. We will be polling and saying, hey, we're looking for questions. All you do is hit us a little quick comment maybe shoot either of us a dm we're not 100 sure but maybe we're going to make a twitter just for the show itself but we're still debating on how we're going to do things but right. just shoot us a quick question you will be i guarantee will be featured in the show and we will answer your question as long as it's appropriate and as long as your handle is not a- inappropriate we will gladly answer your question so the one that we got was from jack lloyd what team has the best uniforms and what team Needs a uniform update. So Sean was doing a lot of research on this one because he loves to talk about uniforms. What I did. We, got, we lucked out with this question. Yeah, what, uh, what's your what, what's your answer for both? My number one uniform is the South Dakota State Jackrabbits uniform. I think that their helmet is fantastic. They have that they have the, the nice shine on top. And I'm not, normally not a big blue and yellow combo guy. That's not normally I, I kind of stray away from that. But their their blue is great. Their yellow is great. I'm all for it. I think that's the best uniform in the uh, FCS. My best uniform, and it pains me to say it because I hate JMU. Uh, I don't mean to uh, have nice. a bias there. We bring the bias. I'm in, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, folks. Um, I think JMU's uniforms, in my opinion, are the best. I just uh-huh. like the, the they look good with the black uniform. It's very hard to pull off a black uniform, but they look good with the black uniform. The little shine that they have going on with the uh, the color fade on the helmets is very cool to me. It just everything they have is very, very clean. Very, very clean, very fluid. I like the purple. I don't know why. All right, yeah. Was you, well, who needs an update? Who needs an update? Uh, Sam Houston State, uh, I believe, needs an update. Their, uh, their uniforms are uh, they're not very good. I, I don't enjoy one part of their uniforms. You don't like the orange? Don't like the orange, don't like the blue. It's a bad orange. So my update, I think, is going to be... <laughs> <laughs> it's bad orange. It is kind of a weird orange. It, I mean, look about at it. this. Look at that. It's like a. It's just bad. 
It's not exactly red peeling. orange. It's yeah. a burnt orange. Yeah. I don't uh, know if I qual- qualify that as burnt. I like it's like a hot orange. Uh, yeah, hot orange. It's a hot you orange. You still got the the helmets that almost don't match the jersey colored orange. It, yeah, I don't know. No, it's not it's a fan. Fake. Not a fan. I think, and it's not that I think they have bad uniforms, but I think if they got an update, they could have some really good ones. Look at their alternates. Yeah, they're oh god, they got this ugly camo. What the is camo that? alternates? Yeah. What I, is that? I told you. All right. Well, our <laughs> my. Uniform that I think needs an update is is North Dakota State just because I love their uniform and I think that they've just had that uniform for a little bit too long. I think if they updated it, they could have some fun with it. I agree. I, I'm not saying I hate it. I just think they could they could have a little bit more fun with it. Right. So that is going to be it for the FCS podcast, Up top. very first one with Joe DeLeon and I'm Sean Anderson. Thank you for tuning in, folks. Follow us on Twitter at Joe DeLeon and at SK Anderson twenty nine. Follow Believe Podcast Network on twi- Twitter at Believe Podcast. You want to spell it for the folks? B L E A V. There you go. B L E A V. And finally, make sure you check us out and subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you want: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and the iHeartRadio app. Thank you, folks, again for tuning in, and we will catch you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.